Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Sunday service. Special welcome to all our guests at the Expanding Light, our guests at the Meditation Retreat, all our visitors, and those viewing this online. I am Nayaswami Pranaba. This is Nayaswami Parvati, and our special guest speaker today is Badri Matlock. This reading is taken from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda with commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's focus is self-effort too is needed. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. These past weeks we discussed the need for balancing self-effort with receptivity to divine grace. Both are important in the spiritual life. Passive dependence on grace hasn't the magnetism to attract grace. Boastful self-confidence, however, which closes itself off from the higher divine power, is shallow, brittle, and given life's many uncertainties, susceptible to ultimate failure. There is a story in the Bible that illustrates the need to put forth personal effort so as to draw magnetically on that divine power. The story occurs in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 8. But as he went, the crowds nearly suffocated him. Among them was a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and who had derived no benefit from anyone's treatment. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. As a result, her hemorrhage stopped immediately. Who was it who touched me? Jesus asked. When everybody denied it, Peter remonstrated, remonstrated, Master, the crowds are all round, pressing you on every side. But Jesus said, Somebody touched me. I felt power going out from me. When the woman realized that she had not escaped notice, she came forward, trembling, and fell at his feet, and admitted before everyone why she had touched him, adding that she had been instantaneously cured. Daughter, Jesus said, it is by your faith that you have been healed. Go in peace. Self-confidence and self-effort are necessary, as the ignition of a car is necessary to the motor. Of what use the ignition, however, if the motor itself will not work? Wise is he who recognizes the real power in the universe and guides his life by that supreme power. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita in the ninth chapter, to those who meditate on me as their very own, ever united to me by incessant worship, I make good their deficiencies and render permanent their gains. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. I, too, would like to welcome you to our Sunday service here today, uh, both here at Ananda Village and online. I'd like to start with a reading from Yoganandaji's Whispers from Eternity, his poems and prayer demands. This reading is entitled, I Want to Build a Rainbow Bridge of Self-Realization. The gulf of ages lay between thee and me, widening as the waters of my oblivion of thee grew through the centuries. I stand on this rocky shore of matter, gazing out over the gulf, hoping to see beyond thy smooth shores of peace. 
My inner thought architects will build for me a bridge of constant remembrance of thee. The strong metal girders of self-control now are being riveted together. My dreams of thee gather to make a rainbow bridge of self-realization over which very soon I will reach thy shore. So once again, welcome both in person here and online, present and future. Uh, you need not adjust your computer screens nor your bifocals. It is I, Badri Matlock, uh, speaking to you as Pranaba noted, a uh, bit of a guest speaker here today. Uh, a bit of context, some weeks ago I suggested or asked Jyotish and Devi, the spiritual directors of Ananda, to consider uh, giving the opportunity for some of our next wave or our uh, next generation, some of our younger teachers and members here, the opportunity to speak at Sunday service. Just it's kind of a casual remark and being the open and expansive great souls that they are, they said, sure, go for it. And uh, so I was referring to some other next wave speakers, <laughs> but I also wasn't so foolish as to dismiss this possibility here today. Um, I wonder if someone wouldn't be so kind as to bring me a glass of water. Or I could use this one. Thank you. Thank you. This is thirsty work. <clears throat> now then, today's topic, uh, self-effort. And really that uh, instance with Jyotish and Devi is our first uh, kind of not so subtle implication, if you will. There's a bit of a hallmark of self-effort here at Ananda. Uh, and that is that everything that we do, if we have a good idea and inspiration of some kind, even if it's kind of a bad one, uh, it's our opportunity to roll up our sleeves and kind of get to work. And so uh, the title actually of today's topic is, once again, a not so subtle teaching in that regard, self-effort too is needed. And so then it's not so much a question of if or even when, but in fact, how and of what kind. And uh, the reading, of course, today from the Bible teaches that this woman who was gathered in the crowds with the many devotees kind of flocking and suffocating, as it says, Jesus, uh, she alone had the ability to draw on that power from God, from the Lord. And what was it that, what was the subtlety that allowed her to do that? Um, of course, on this topic, an incident that comes to mind from the life of Swami Kriyananda, our founder and our great teacher and friend here, is the incident with his time in uh, Los Angeles with his guru, Yogananda, when he was making great spiritual effort and he felt that he was really getting nowhere. And who among us has not experienced this feeling at times? He approached the master and said, Master, I keep trying and trying and trying. And I feel as if I'm getting nowhere. Uh, am I not trying hard enough? And of course, the master's reply, no, you're trying too hard. You must emphasize relaxation. And so we must emphasize relaxation in our effort, in everything we do, and devotion in order to allow that effort and that energy to flow. Um, a few weeks ago, we enjoyed here at Ananda the early days at Ananda panel, which is a really inspiring and delightful annual event 
where some of the early members and founders of Ananda share in a rather informal panel, kind of a satsang, just some of the highlights, the challenges, the inspirations from that era, that historic era of Ananda, which really was here at Ananda Village in its beginnings. And in that panel, Naiswami Jyotish shared um, something that was a rather uh, trivial remark, I think, in the context of his talk, but struck me. He said that the first uh, structure ever built at Ananda, for those of you that know, it wasn't uh, Swami Kriyananda's home, it wasn't the temple, it wasn't the dining or the bathroom, it was the water tower up there at the meditation retreat. And as I say, Jyotish just shared this and kind of got on with his, his story, but it struck me in the moment that here's a symbol for God's power and God's energy in the world. Uh, what it took to construct that water tower and the water therein uh, allowed for water to flow to the retreat and to the very beginnings of Ananda. And of course, the gravity and the pressure that allowed that water to supply the various washing and drinking needs of the people in the community in the early days is an example. Uh, water, of course, like uh, the phenomenon of light is one of God's beautiful miracles in this world. Um, it's tasteless, it's odorless, it's nearly without color, and yet it has the power to move mountains, to carve the face of the earth, to give and destroy life. And so this simple kind of passive substance has ability to flow and has tremendous power in it. And we sort of fit the pipes of our own self-realization together rather clumsily and over time remove the obstructions that allow that energy to flow in our lives. <clears throat> so receptivity uh, is noted in the reading as well. And this woman who touched Jesus and who was receptive enough to draw on that power is instructive for all of us in our spiritual practices and in our self-effort to let that energy to flow. Um, when we pray, for example, we should pray after meditation when we've stilled our consciousness enough for God to listen. Because, of course, he's always listening, but who, in fact, takes the time to listen when we haven't taken the time to get their attention? Um, we should pray less, in fact, and really yearn for God more. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, we must become united with God through incessant worship. And I had an experience of this recently that, again, seemed kind of trivial at the time, but it was really beautiful reflecting on it when I was driving late one night, returning from Portland, actually, with my wife and our two young children from the yoga fast and various activities in Portland just a few weeks ago. Um, it was about 4 a.m., and we had been driving all night in order for the kids to sleep in the car with us. And as we were getting off one highway, kind of, passing through one of these small towns. We were just a couple hours from home, and I thought, as I looked at the gas tank getting low, gee, it would have been nice if we didn't have to stop for gas. I knew, really, the only reason was that those banks of fluorescent lighting in the gas station would wake up the kids, in all likelihood, or at least kind of disturb our flow. We were almost there, and it had been a relatively good, good night's sleep in the car. And so I kind of shared this thought with Divine Mother, not really 
thinking about it much. Just, gee, it'd be nice if those gas stations weren't always lit up like that. And they always are. And uh, it wasn't 10 minutes later we got off the highway into one of these towns and just rolled right into a gas station with no lights whatsoever. And uh, I was kind of astounded and whatever. And they were actually closed. The pump wasn't working. But a half a block down the road, there was another gas station, no lights on. I couldn't believe it. And Gita learned from, my wife learned from the store clerk when she went in and we learned from the emergency vehicles nearby there had been a fire in the area and that the town was either running off partial power or generator supplied power. And so anyways, we fueled up and the kids slept and we were on our way. And as it says in the autobiography of a yogi, no man lives or woman lives who has not seen his prayers answered by God. And yet how often do we acknowledge that? power through our receptivity, the power of our prayers to be answered. Because again, God is always listening. You know, in the lives of masters, many come, perhaps thousands will come. And yet few have that receptivity to draw on that power. Um, as it says in the Gita again, thousands out of a thousand one seeks me and perhaps fewer still do so really effectively. And what is the secret to doing that? Again, we look to the life of Swami Kriyananda and his ability to draw on that power from his guru, Yogananda, from the saints that he visited, the many great souls. Um, Ananda Moima, the great saint from India, said, many, many come to this body and worship and seek this blessing, as she referred to herself often. And she said, Swami Kriyananda is like the bee who flies to the lotus flower on the water, sips of the nectar, and alights. And what gave him that special ability to do that? When you look, he went to Yogananda, when he went to Anandamoy Ma, he just wanted to sit in the back to meditate and be unseen and tune in inwardly. So there's a hint. He also said we do this through our willpower and devotion. And how do we do that? The secret really to doing everything is just to do nothing, to let God do it, and just to be in God. Once when Master was in Encinitas, Yogananda walking with his uh, first disciple in the West, Dr. Lewis, they had been together for many years at this point. They were walking on the bluffs near the beach and the master said, let's go in and have something to eat. And so they went into the hermitage kitchen there and Yogananda himself, who loved to cook, cooked a light meal of some vegetables and perhaps some rice. And he served and they ate and they went off to bed and uh, perhaps to meditate and to bed. When Dr. Lewis reached his room that evening, he said the room was filled, suffused with this brilliant divine light. And he was just had this blissful experience of God. And next morning he asked the master, what was that in my room last night? What was that experience that I had? And master replied, oh, I was pretty much in God when I cooked those vegetables. <laughs> and so we too just need to be in God more and not confuse that or make it more complex than it is. Um, we look around us here at Ananda village at these mighty black oak trees and towering ponderosa pines and 
Do they struggle and strive and toil to reach such majesty and such grace and strength and beauty? They just be in their natural state with God. And so we too, through our willpower, through our devotion, just need to be in God more. Uh, willpower, Swami Kriyananda teaches us, is not a grim, forceful thing, or at least it can't be very effective that way. As he once put it, you can't bulldoze your way into heaven. Um, unless you're Prakash, I might add, <laughs> who is well on his way. Uh, our tractor operator here, because anything we do with devotion, you know, peeling carrots or populating spreadsheets or driving bulldozers with the consciousness of God brings us to that higher plane. No, Swami teaches us that willpower has to be willingness and a step further, not passive, but enthusiasm and creativity, uh, moving us forward with positive energy on the spiritual path. Uh, as a parent of young children, I have ample opportunity to practice enthusiasm and creativity, um, as you might imagine. And I remember one parent whose child has now grown, uh, but a longtime member of Ananda here told me when my daughter Tulsi was first born about five years ago, early on, she told me, you know, I can tell you a little tip for the spiritual path with young kids. And I thought, oh, this is, should be helpful. And she said, you know, you can do the ohm technique on the toilet when you have a minute <laughs> alone. And I thought, what have I got myself into? <laughs> and wouldn't you know, it, Gita, my wife and I concur that we have no time in the bathroom for privacy, let alone sadhana. But the point was well taken that this creativity is necessary on the spiritual path. And when we're parenting, when we're doing anything in our life, um, back to the children, it's not so much I have to will, you know, God into the equation. I need to let God in. And God's always speaking to us, especially through children and through nature. Um, just recently, I put up a new rope swing at our house and my daughter Tulsi and son Jay were vying for the new rope swing. It's the second one to avoid this dilemma, but they just had to have the new rope swing. And so after some of this banter and me trying to make peace, um, Tulsi just smiled and said, you know what, Jay, you have a turn first. Friends are more important than toys. And isn't that something? And doesn't that sound familiar? Another thing she told me recently when we were in Portland was, Dad, your heart's like a love volcano. And you just need to open up the flow, and then the lava can flow. And so she says to her brother, Jay, Jay, I lava you. <laughs> she can joke like her grandfather. And so this creativity on the spiritual path, this enthusiasm, um, through all God's channels. And again, this devotional love, this power of devotion that is really unmatched in its ability to bring God, to let God flow. Uh, this story again in the reading is reminiscent of a story told by Sri Ramakrishna, the great saint from India. Ramakrishna tells the story in the life of Bhagavan Krishna, the Lord incarnate 
and incarnation of divine love. The gopis, the devotees of Krishna were gathered there and they were praying and yearning and really calling to God, to Krishna, who was nearby, but seemingly aloof or uh, unrespondent to their prayers. And they went on in this way, clamoring and calling for God as Krishna, and yet he didn't respond. And then Radha came, the great lover of God and greatest devotee of Lord Krishna. And she whispered, just called softly to the Lord. And Krishna was there in an instant because she came from that deepest place of love. And that is the power of devotion in anything that we do, not just in our meditation, certainly there, but in all of our activities and efforts. That quality of devotion has the instantaneous power if it comes from that deep place to draw God in and let him flow. I'll just add one more quality to Swamiji's equation and it touches on the affirmation today, this idea of renunciation and non-attachment. You know, being free from the binding forces of attachment in this world and allowing God to flow there. Um, Swami Kriyananda on this score as well, we know that he wrote countless pieces of music, for example. Um, just beautiful and brilliant music. And he said, you know, I love my music because it's not my music. And he knew that that total freedom allowed for God to flow everywhere. Um, another example of non-attachment is a saint or I guess philosopher, uh, Diogenes from Greek times, who was an uncanny fellow, I believe, a brilliant man by certain accounts, but also highly eccentric. I think he lived in a, a jar or a, a tub by certain accounts. In any case, there he was, a total renunciate. And um, he was visited by the king of uh, Greece, I guess, at the time of Athens, Alexander, I, I suppose. And he said to, he was very impressed by this renunciate. And he said, what can I, the great king Alexander, offer to you, uh, Diogenes? And he kind of looked up from his jar and said, stand a little to the left and let the sunlight through, please. And so this man had it. He had that freedom and that non-attachment that allowed the simple joy of God to flow unobstructed in his life. Uh, one more instance that the master was Yogananda, that is constantly teaching and is teaching through all experiences, his disciples and devotees, this quality of non-attachment. Uh, he was once at Lake Shrine instructing the disciples how to plant the trees there in that beautiful garden on the slope. And he would say, plant this tree here and plant this tree right in line with me. And Brother Anandamoy, a young monk at the time, just by the name of Henry, was um, following his orders carefully. And there was a new monk or perhaps a visitor with them. And so the three or four monks were there digging and planting and fertilizing and watering and Yogananda one time would say, no, not there, over here. And no, no, not there, over here. And after three or four times of this, he, he, the disciples knew, except for this new guy, that he was testing them, you know, are they attached? Are they just serving? And that's, the, that's where obedience comes in. It's not blind obedience. It's just being free. And when Henry, Brother Anandamoy, 
finally the fourth time looked down at Master, he saw it planted in line with me. And when they were almost done planting, he stepped to the side. <laughs> no, I said in line with me. And so he smiled and this, you know, other visitors just, he decided I didn't come here for this. He didn't understand that God's always rearranging our life and just testing us. Are you free? Are you living in my joy? And so in the final analysis, um, there really is nothing to self-effort. There's nothing to do. In fact, uh, as I say, the secret to doing everything is to do nothing. And, um, you know, as long as we're the ones doing it, nothing will ever, ever work out. But really that key of self-effort is loving God, is devotion, and just letting God flow into our lives. We just show up and we stay put and we don't quit. And that's the power of self-effort and God's grace to flow. Um, and then more and more, you know, our lives will be uh, not like the beggar in the story who when approached by the king and was really astonished when the king asked him, what is it that you can offer me? And all the beggar could produce was a little grain of rice. Um, that grain he noticed in his little sack of grains later that evening, he just had one golden grain of rice had been transmuted into pure gold. And he thought, what if I had given everything to the king? And so instead, as devotees, we need to give everything in our lives, just through really tireless effort. But in the end, just by God's grace, our lives will become just shining examples of his golden light and the world around us too will be filled with that light. Any blessings. Soon be